You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho and Matt Cummings. Okay, in this episode, the Santa Fe Opera's current season starts this weekend, and we get a field report. Not from PJ, but from me. Drink! And then it's bonus content from Oliver's recent trip to the Boston Early Music Festival, when German soprano Dorothee Mields takes a free throw on the subject of uh, birds. Plus, in the two-minute drill, friend of the show Christine Gerke is cheering us all on, especially you. Tulsa Opera. Hey, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher and Spotify. You're going to click follow on Apple Podcasts. You just hit that beautiful plus sign. And hey, you're beautiful. Send us that beautiful voice memo. Email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. You're going to get the OBS beer coaster and the brand new OBS lapel pin just for sharing your own hot take. What a great show tonight. What a great team. Oliver Camacho, good to see you. Um, did I did I hear that the Cubs lost in London? Are they losing everywhere now? Is that they just go all over the world to lose? Well, or? so the Major League Baseball does have this like London series, which is back on hiatus from 2019. Cubs and Cards, that rivalry. Cubs won the first game. I think they did oh. split the series and lost the second. So what's the point of this? Is it to get people to get off of cricket and to join I guess the baseball, so. baseball fever? I, the only rules? thing more confusing than cricket is baseball. So why you would take? I'm not sure if that's the right order. (laughs) Okay, the only thing more boring than cricket is baseball. I really am not a baseball fan. I I find it very talk about hot takes. Very dull. Very very dull. Just to wait till we get to the All Star. As a third of our audience falls off on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Little sporty news from me: Carlos Alcaraz uh, won the Queen's tournament, the one of the grass tournaments leading up to Wimbledon. And by winning right. that, he took the number one spot from Novak Djokovic, oh, who is the presumptive goat uh, of men's tennis. Um, they're like passing this thing back and forth all year long. This is like I think it's like the third time he's had it in the calendar year right. uh, between him and Novak Djokovic. So we'll see what happens in Wimbledon. That'll be the the real deciding factor. They're going to be seeds number one and two. Now, Wimbledon, I do truly love. Matt, who do you love? I have a love-hate relationship, as we all know, with enemy of the show, Tobias Wright, uh, <laughs> who does send his love back to us all from uh, oh, the, what a guy. from the, uh, an undisclosed location in the Midwest. Uh, <laughs> where you visited him. Where I did visit him. So did you have to like have a, wear like a bag over your head as they as they dropped you off? As Oof. long as I took the, the OBS bumper sticker off my car, I just like covered it up and I, right. I, they didn't he didn't want to be tracked. I okay. like that merchandise idea. The OBS bumper sticker mm. might be something in that. <clears throat> Let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. So as you all know, George Cedarquist was in Santa Fe last week, uh, sending us that really beautiful interview with uh, David Alden. Thank you for listening to that. Um, George, what were you doing in Santa Fe? You never told us you were going on a, on a school field trip. It was more than a school field trip. It was a two-week family road trip where the crew, we drove the entire way, basically heading to see friends in Denver and relatives in southwest Colorado and New Mexico. How could I not spend 
an afternoon in Santa Fe. So the wife and kids, they went into town and got some food and did a tour and went to the main you know, plaza. And I got to ha- hang out at the Santa Fe Opera House for the afternoon. And uh, what all did you learn while you were there? It's, oh my gosh. I mean, we talk about the Rose Bowl in Los Angeles as the granddaddy of them all when it comes to college football bowl games. The Santa Fe Opera has to be the granddaddy of all of this country's summer opera festivals. The surroundings are utterly gorgeous. Okay, we all know about the Open Air Opera House. You heard David Alden talk about that on the interview that I did with him. You know, you can see the mountain range in the back. But the entire campus is all in the Adobe style. There is an amazing cafeteria where everybody hangs out. And of course, there's a pool right in the middle of the campus. Rehearsal spaces are open air as well so that they can simulate and mimic as much as they can the experience of singing in the open air and contending with the elements once they get onto the stage. And so behind this uh, rehearsal of Dutchman that we all know you attended, what else did you see there? The rehearsal of Dutchman was really the highlight. And Christopher Alden is a director that whose work I've loved for years. I, mean, I thought it was David Alden. Hit. I, did I say Christopher Alden? You did. Oh my god! <laughs> okay. Drink. Leave it in. Leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> leave it in. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I mentioned this production, this uh, three-part production of the three De Ponte Mozart operas that they did. And apparently, that was a sore spot. I didn't quite realize that it, it hadn't gone very well. But they're nothing if if not honest. Those two, definitely. The other thing, of course, was seeing lots of old friends. I was seeing students of mine from Northwestern, uh, opera singers that I directed years ago at Chautauqua, uh, administrators that I knew. It just a surprise around every corner. And the atmosphere is, these are artists and administrators at the absolute top of their game, making great art for a appreciative audience in beautiful surroundings. Hmm. So um, the past two years, when I was there, they still had a lot of COVID restrictions. Last year, less than the year before, but uh, there have definitely been, you know, artist uh, cancel not cancellations, but artists having to not be able to perform because they were sick, and some cast changes last minute. And um, I wasn't able to meet with artists at Santa Fe. Uh, if the artist felt amenable to it, I could meet them in their casitas. But uh, they were definitely trying to keep, you know, non-opera people away from these artists. So what's it feeling like? Are they still nervous about COVID? Is it still a thing over there? It's business as usual, Oliver. I, I think the Did they let you air, in? Absolutely. Okay. A hundred percent. I mean, I think the open air setup of the rehearsal spaces and the communal spaces obviously helps this idea of keeping air moving. But to all intents and purposes, I don't think I saw a single mask, which really speaks to, uh, you know, how our world has changed, how the performing arts have changed, how opera has changed, and to this idea that that folks are moving on. They know that they can make their best art when they're not masked. And that is very much, I think, the uh, modus operandi at the moment at at the Santa Fe Opera. It's just getting down to business and... uh, making sure that that folks can do their jobs to their absolute best abilities. But your field interview was outdoors, was or was it in the media room? 
The field interview was outdoors, and I'll tell you why. is because so David Auden was coming off a three-hour chorus rehearsal, which he said wasn't exhausting. I was exhausting just watching the man work with the chorus. And I had exactly 20 minutes before he went back into a production meeting. And uh, I'm nothing if not bold. And I said, all right, Mr. Auden, you've got 20 minutes. We need to find a spot like right here, right now. So we just went sort of upstage of one of the rehearsal areas and sat very close together on a bench so I could look deeply into his eyes and ask him questions about the festival and about his work. So this was not fancy, but you know, Oliver, I'm not a fancy guy. I, yeah, we know. Just... Uh, any sneak peek about the production? Are they using the uh, missing fourth wall uh, in any special way? Uh, so I did take some uh, photos of the scenic model and the costume renderings, which I certainly can't publish because I don't want to give okay. anything away. I can say, having seen those, that certainly the production is contemporary and political. I don't think you would expect anything less from David Alden. And if you look at the marketing images from the Santa Fe Opera, they are a pretty good facsimile of what David Alden and his design team have come up with for this production. Well, the Santa Fe Opera Festival begins on June 30th, just about the same day you're listening to this podcast. I'm so excited for this production. It was such an absolute thrill. I was treated like royalty by the press department. I only got my own lanyard and credentials for the day. They really know how to make someone feel special. What a great time it was. So I have some extra content from my interviews I recorded for WFMT uh, to share. Uh, Dorothy Meals was one of the most generous uh, interview guests. Uh, I felt like she could have talked to me like all afternoon. She's super fascinating. And she wasn't weirded out at all by me asking her to come up to my hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) Something I noticed George didn't try. Yeah. I told her in our email correspondence, just so you know, I'm as gay as a goose. She said, oh, I love geese, she said. <laughs> and That's a very of, German response. <laughs> and speaking of geese, one of the uh, entry points for me in, in discovering the mass discography of Dorote Mills uh, is her collaboration with Stefan Temming, uh, an album of Baroque arias that are dedicated to birds. So before we get into this little free throw segment, uh, here's a little bit of an aria by Reinhard Kaiser from his opera Ulysses, the Angenehme, the Angenehme Nachtigall, uh, featuring Dorote Mields with Stefan Temming and an ensemble known as the Gentleman's Band. Oh, <laughs> 
My guest today is German soprano Dorothee Mills, who uh, I'm meeting for the first time here at Boston Early Music Festival. Dorothee, I'm a huge fan, and I have to admit that um, one of my first encounters with your artistry was this very, I want to say it's a very gay album, this bird's <laughs> It's so queer and it has all of the things that I think people who are first learning about early music that they want to hear. Like mm -hmm. it's like recorders and like coloratura and staccati mm -hmm. and trills. And uh, you seem to do this repertoire with just so much joy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, this started with, with Stefan and me um, uh, finding out about each other that we are both amateur ornithologists. <laughs> <laughs> so that's real. how it started. So, so we were, I think, recording another inspired by song CD, uh, CD recording uh, where we put some folk songs and then uh, in the Baroque time they always uh, wrote some very highly virtuosi Virtuosissimi uh, um, um, variations about it, mm -hmm. and at that time, at the very beginning of of of, of Stefan's career, he was very much into the virtuoso thing. He's changed so much, and oh my God, this man has become so deep, and it's adorable. It's so fun. We just um, had a concert with Telemann, and he 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 drove me during the concert into tears hmm. two or three times because ah, oh, this this mellow, very special tune he has about him this is ah oh, it's I, I start singing the praises of him so we just were, were recording we had a break we went outside some bird was singing i said oh my god that's a heckenbraunella or whatever some <laughs> some some weirdo bird and they said yeah. oh no i think it's a kleiber so so that's how it started and we found out about each other that we're amateur ornithologists and love bird songs yeah. and, and so that's of course we get the idea well there is so much repertoire and baroque music about bird songs and then of course we wanted to find out so how can we really so, so be a little bit more birdie and then put it back into the baroque orn ornamentary um artificial style but then also have those little excursions into um how birdie can we be <laughs> how much birdie can we can we become you know, you just referenced that, you know, Baroque music maybe has artifice to it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I find you're one of the artists that, that makes this music accessible to audiences mm. through the artifice. Oh, that, that's, that's what I wanted to. That's my big point. So, of course, there is all that virtuosissimi and, and all that, and you can do this. And, and, but the real fun is to, to give sense to all that. So, so not just be showing off my voice and look, I can do a high C and all oh, those coloraturas. Mm -hmm. No, no, but but um, really, um, I'm doing a high C and all those coloraturas because I'm bubbling of joy inside, and so it has to come out. And then I do this, and and so so that, that there is always something driving me, which is not necessarily art. Artistic reasons, in a way. So of course it is, but 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 at the same time, I, I I'm always struggling. I want to be as much authentic and storytelling and talkative as possible with this music that it really speaks to us. Hmm. And it's about the music, not about myself. That's 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 boring. It's it's just about well, I I just adjust and become another person.
let's then do something on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Um, just a moment ago, you were telling me about an album you recorded with Lauten Kompanyai called War and Peace. Yes. Can you describe the, this project for me? Yeah, so um, how did this happen? It started with, um, there is a German singer. She, she was the wife of Friedrich Hollander, um, Blandine Ebinger. And I stumbled listening to the radio, to German radio, upon a, a, a historical recording of Blandine in the 1930s or so. And she has this word, she, she, she sings absolutely off key. It, 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 she's not hitting one straight tune, but she's talking. And I was extremely entertained by the way she was singing this. And I was, while I was listening, I thought, wow, this is very much like Baroque recitatives or like I would like to have Baroque recitatives and at the same time hitting all the right keys. <laughs> 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 so that's how we started. So, so and I, wanted to, I wanted to try those songs out. So these are Lieder eines armen Mädchen, songs of a poor girl. And um, um, there was also some bio biographical um, um, parallel to, to my own um, upgrowing. So, so I thought, okay, mm, let's let's try this. She seemed another soul sister. Um, and I talked to Wolfgang about it, to Wolfgang Katschner, because he's the one I can talk to if I want to have some experimental things done. Mm -hmm. And so on. Of course, he's always jumping at, at the idea and I said let's combine those songs because they were about about war concerns also because they were written during the war and um, it was about ref uh, refugees refugees it was about hunger it was about all those big themes during war and we found out well that's actually what Schütz is writing in his compositions during the Thirty Years' War, or Heinrich Albert, there's this, be there's this beautiful story. So all those composers were, were uh, uh, assembled as refugees in Königsberg, which was outside the war zone in, in, the, uh, in the 1600s. And um, he had some kind of a pumpkin hut where they were growing pumpkins. And they met and drank a lot of, of, of alcohol and had had food because it was outside the war zone and had a nice life and, and wrote about their time and made some very, very, very beautiful songs also about, about how, how, yeah, how vain is time and how quick life can end and all those never ending themes, which are of course forever actual. And um, so we decided to combine songs from Friedrich Hollander and from Heinrich Albert and from Heinrich Schütz and from all those composers from the Thirty Years War um, and made a program War and Peace about that. We ended, of course, with peace, but we, we had also Battaglia. There is this big genre in Baroque music about Battaglia, where you have some kind of battle music and it's very jolly and very, very high. Ah, yeah, now war is great and that's how it starts always with war and then very quickly of course everybody finds out oh it's not fun at all it's just <laughs> just death and devastation and illness and sickness and and and, and hunger all yeah. that and yeah. hunger and everything and so on and we had a song about um someone dreaming about eating a goose in hunger time <laughs> which is so 
Yeah, yeah. There's so much fat on the goose. Yeah, you know, exactly. You dream about it. Yeah. You dream about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, so this, this, and it's it's a very, very deeply touching recording. One of my favorites, actually, um, um, because well, I, I love also to combine tragedy and, and joy into one thing because it's so close to each other and it, it, it gives you so much in dire times it gives you so much resilience if you just every once in a while can focus on, on some tiny thing which is just fun and if it's just just but a dream like like dreaming of a very fat goose in times where you don't barely have have a tiny crumb of bread each day but you keep dreaming about a goose and you might survive on that on the dream in diesem Lande und in dieser Zeit dürftest Abende nicht Wolfgang Kochner's arrangement of Hans Eisler's Über den Selbstmord, or um, About Suicide, Ugh. Um, Ugh. with Lauten Kompanie, uh, Lauten Kompanie um, which is led by Wolfgang Kochner and our guest Dorothee Mields. My thanks again, as always, to Boston Early Music Festival for giving me access to Miss Mields. And if you spent some time this summer at either Boston Early Music Festival or the Santa Fe Opera, let us know how it was. Send us that voice memo or email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. You're going to get the OBS beer coaster and lapel pin and apparently bumper sticker just for sharing your own hot take. Right now, you're going to get the two-minute drill. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. Tulsa Opera abruptly canceled the productions of Pirates of Penzance and La Traviata, which made up the bulk of its season, though it still plans to present its new series of events in non-traditional venues. Aaron Beck has been named Interim General Director following the resignation of CEO and GD Ken McConnell. The company cited a combination of rising costs and declining revenues, which became impossible to sustain, saying, We plan to announce updates later this summer or early fall about our future direction. Our goal is to make these reductions now so that we can grow in the future. Friend of the show and 
Helden mommy Christine Gerke had some thoughts about accusations that innovative programming and a focus on social justice were the source of Tulsa Opera's woes. She responded, We are able to do new things, address what is happening in our world, while also keeping ties to the traditions that allow us to understand where we've been and where we can and must go. Our task, it is not to just entertain, it is to offer the opportunity for people to see themselves on stage. You know her and you love her. Lizzo has donated 50 grand to the Sphinx organization to support Black and Latinx artists in classical music as part of her annual Juneteenth give back. Sphinx partners with over 100 American orchestras to transform audition accessibility and modernize practices for tenure and promotions within the industry. In a follow-up to our story about the Maja Musicale Fiorentino's cancellation of contracts for his production of Die Meistersinger, one of the affected singers, Paul Curiavici, has started a GoFundMe campaign to cover the cost of legal fees in pursuit of payment of the artist's contracts. The Music Critics Association of North America has awarded composer Nicole Lisée and librettist Nicolas Billon the prestigious 2023 Best New Opera Award for R.U.R. A Torrent of Light, produced by friend of the show Tapestry Opera. The adaptation of Carol Chopik's play Rossum's Universal Robots is the first Canadian work to claim the honour. Just in time for Canada Day on July 1st. Renee Fleming has been announced as a Kennedy Center Award inductee in this year's class, alongside Billy Crystal, Barry Gibb, Queen Latifah, and Dionne Warwick. Renee Fleming has captivated audiences worldwide with her luminous voice, incomparable artistry, and a knack for bringing opera into the mainstream for more than four decades, said Kennedy Center Chairman David Rubenstein. Despite Ilda Abratsakov's close ties to the Kremlin, Bayerische Staatsoper is defending their choice to con contract the Russian base for the title role of Boris Godunov and King Philip in Don Carlo at this summer's festival. Said a spokesperson, We have the two existing contracts for the opera festival, but nothing further is planned for the time being. It's not that the whole world won't let him sing anymore, and Munich would be an exception. In trade news, Christina Scheppelmann will be departing as general director of Seattle Opera when her contract expires to fulfill the same role at Théâtre La Monnaie in Brussels. I love being here, Scheppelmann said, sipping from a Seahawks mug during a video call, but they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. See how we tied it to sports, folks? In a ceremony following the prima of Ricardo Muti's last performances, that's last with air quotes, as music director of the CSO, Beethoven's throat-busting miso solemnis, by the way, Ricardo Muti was named music director emeritus for life. Our artistic collaboration has been one of the great joys of my life and created deep bonds of friendship across my years in Chicago, said Muti. I look forward to returning regularly. Deutsche Oper am Rhein has named its recently minted Kapellmeister Vitali Aleksanok as its new chief conductor beginning in the 24-25 season. The 32-year-old from Belarus succeeds music director Axel Kober, who after 15 seasons, won't renew his contract at the house in order to expand his freelance career. On the disabled list, Piotr Bachawa has cancelled remaining performances of Turandot in Zurich as he recovers from a viral infection following the recommendation of his doctors. Nothing is harder for me than to cancel, he said on social media, but I have to put my health first right now. Singing is high-performance sport, and that only works if our bodies are really healthy. Thanks for tying it to sports, Piotr. Exit stage right, soprano Rachel Yakar, a specialist in Baroque repertoire and Mozart roles, has died at the age of 87. Also a noted pedagogue, Yakar participated in the creation of the lyric studio of the Center for Baroque Music Versailles, where among her pupils was Patricia Pettibon. German soprano Gabriela Schnaut has died at age 72. 
Born in Mannheim, Schnaut made her debut at the Staatsoper Stuttgart as a mezzo in 1976 before appearing at Bayreuth the following year in that famed ring cycle by Patrice Chereau. Schnaut later performed as a dramatic soprano at major houses around the world, including La Scala, the Vienna State Opera, and the Met. And she was a Kammerzängerin in Hamburg and Munich. And on this day, June 26, first performances include André Gratry's Le Rival Confident in Paris in 1788, Giovanni Paisiello's La Daunia Felice in Foggia in 1795, Giacomo Meyerbeer's Emma di Resburgo in Venice in 1819, Jacques Offenbach's Oyayaye ou La Reine de Désil in Paris in 1855, and Richard Wagner's Die Valkyrie in Munich in 1870. Birthdays include German soprano Frieda Hempel in 1885, American tenor Richard Crooks in 1900, Swiss tenor Hugues Queneau in 1902, German tenor Wolfgang Windgassen in 1914, Italian baritone Giuseppe Taddei in 1916. And on this day, June 26, in 1933, it was the birth of Italian conductor Claudio Abbado. And that's your two-minute drill. Just a little bit of the great singing actor Giuseppe Taddei singing Nemico della Patria from Andrea Chenier with the Rai Milan Orchestra conducted by Angelo Cuesta. It's about time we got some baritones in this <laughs> in this transitional slot. I mean, if you listen to my old show, um, Opera Now, which I guess still exists, we do an episode like once every six months. Um, I had I did this very long, like three weeker or maybe four weeker on Rigoletto, mm. and I listened to I think every available recording of Rigoletto, and there are a number. And I I knew about today, but I hadn't really paid that much attention to it. And once I started to figure out what he's doing different than anybody else, and listening to more of his recordings, like holy moly, this guy is like the Dietrich Fischer-Duskau of Italian opera, like that much detail, that much palette. And in color. fact, he even outranked Dietrich Fischer-Duskau's Rigoletto, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> I did include Duskau, actually. So, You know, it's it's funny. So the family and I were on this big road trip and we're driving back from Santa Fe. And we, we drove through Tulsa during the day uh, to, to stay with some friends who live in the city. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm here. Maybe I'll stop at the opera house and do a little interview for my own career, you know, not for the show. and, and just Gone fishing. <laughs> yeah, they, they're really going through it this month. <laughs> this this was the thing, though. So I hopped on the website to be like, okay, well, I better have an intelligent line to say about what their season... Oh, wait a second. There is no season. What the hell is going on here? So this was, this was for real. I mean, this was happening right when I was in Tulsa the other week. So 
Pirates is gone. Traviata is gone. And then Christine Gerke is fighting the fight for them. So what did I miss? This news got shared all over Facebook. And on on one of the more prominent public posts, there there's a singer from Australia who used the uh, Tulsa's, you know, commitment to bringing opera to younger audiences, to really addressing the the vast inequality that exists in our society and the role that the arts have played in perpetuating that. Uh, she evidently was not pleased to see that on their website and launched into diatribe doesn't even begin. Screed is like coming close <laughs> about Charlie. how um, basically critical race theory will kill us all and it's destroying the art form. Uh, and I said this last week about people talking about cancel culture and about tar when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> Just the sheer amount of projection yeah. about that goes into blaming this one thing that you don't like very much for everything that goes wrong, regardless of the circumstances. Like, without fail, someone is going to emerge from the woodwork to blame uh, talking honestly about race and the problems in history that it has that that has caused. I mean, this this singer started her screed by saying know your audience and stop trying to make them endure your agenda. Your job is to entertain people. That is it. You aren't a politician. You aren't MLK. Uh, you are a performer. You you are a clown. I don't even know what she means. You aren't milk. <laughs> she said. <laughs> okay, now I'm now that part yeah. was, was just confusing. This fetish agenda is deadly and it is yeah. scaring audiences away in droves. Like it goes on from there. Look, there was there was some other singer on the, that we talked about on the show some years ago who said something similarly completely wacky. Okay, look, the opera is a complicated art form. It can do more than just one thing. It can, as Christine Gerke said, it's not just to entertain. It can allow people to see themselves on stage. And it's a limited worldview if you think it only does one single thing. Furthermore, no opera company wants to close. No opera company wants to cancel its season. And... F- to assume that a company is driven purely by ticket sales, which is a false equivalence to entertaining work, is also incorrect. CEO GD Ken McDonald, Aaron Beck, the new interim general director, talk about declining revenues. That's not ticket sales. That's probably corporate and governance support, which I think is it's absolutely both. declining. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is that uh, that the, the the data shows, at least from uh, – met last week that uh actually it's the more diverse and new offerings that are selling better (laughs) exactly like just because some people on the internet think that people don't care about this because they don't care about this christine gerke point i mean this is exactly her point why do you get to decide for an entire audience what constitutes a great performance and what does not she says and furthermore why do you think that you can speak for the entire world to say what people care about this is something that people care about the the, the ju- just the the entrenched systems of power mm-hmm. right. and how it affects everyone. This it is something that turns young people off from the opera. It makes them feel unwelcome. It makes them feel it, it makes us feel like we are not supposed to be there. And that is a surefire way to get people to stop coming is to make them feel judged when they show up. 
Exactly. Don't don't kick an opera company when it's when it's down. This these comments are out of perspective. This feels like the money show. The next story: Lizzo giving fifty grand to the Sphinx organization, which I believe is based in Detroit. By the way, it yeah, I think be, you're right. Could be wrong about that. I, I love I love seeing this sort of philanthropy, right? The annual Juneteenth give back. I think she she can spare the fifty k. I I would I would think so. But then we move on to Maggio Musicale Fiorentino. And and now we're getting into GoFundMe. Someone send Lizzo this GoFundMe link. <laughs> so 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 um, Paul Curtivici is he's going for this right, gathering some money through a gun uh, GoFundMe, and is going to pursue payment of the artist's contracts. Yeah, I mean they're they're trying to raise I think it's fif- about fifteen thousand pounds to cover the legal fees that will be required to to fight this in court. Be- uh, and their position is that the company mismanaged their finances right. and that, that these artists shouldn't be held responsible, which there is an investigation right now that uh, uh. would give some credence to that about Alexandra Pereira, as we talked about a few weeks ago when we covered this story. So we'll see what happens here. This is not necessarily a development, but it's at least interesting that these singers are not willing to go out without a fight. Yeah, is Renee it's... Fleming too young to be a Kennedy Center honoree? Is she the youngest in this bunch? Uh, well, Barry Gibbs, Barry Gibbs from the Bee Gees, right? So that, must, the very same. Yeah, he must, he must be pretty. I bet wild. Queen Latifah is younger than Renee Fleming. Oh. Yes, but she, but she would, would be the would, only one. She would be. Yeah, to exactly. the internet. I would just love to hear Billy Crystal and Renee Fleming talk, like in the line for pretzels. Okay, Queen Latifah is fifty-three that. years old. Okay, and and Renee Fleming is. You're yes. gonna. She's not gonna she's, like this, Oliver. Yeah, I know. Say well, this we could out be, loud. Can you round uh, up or round down? Ooh, wow. She's about a decade older. <laughs> that was very generous I, of you. She looks great for that, how old she is. Wow. I'm, I'm really surprised. Of course, what's strange is that Billy Crystal is also hosting the Kennedy Center. Awards is he? And- no, yeah, Gloria right. Estefan's hosting. You're just you're just remembering the Oscars of your your salad days. <laughs> was Billy Crystal was he the one who did the like Oprah Uma Uma Oprah bit? Was that no, Billy Crystal? No, that was David Letterman. Oh my god! Uh, I, do, I, know, I, I don't know quit. why. You, why do you even try? Why I do you even try? <laughs> no, but I mean, um, the Kennedy Center Award has been given to you know people like Martina Arroyo most recently, you know, and she's like well into her retirement from the stage and, you know, she's in her golden years. Um, Renee Fleming has still got some career ahead of her, you know, and we know that she's, she's coming back to sing the hours, you know, so. Right. Yeah. uh, So maybe premature, but definitely worthy, definitely worthy of the honor. Yeah. Not a patch on her accomplishments at all. Yeah. I mean, look at you, Quino, who sang until he was 100-something years old. So. <laughs> Maybe she'll be the first person to get a second Kennedy Center honors. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, being too young, uh, Ricardo Muti is too young to retire as music director of Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And this whole season uh, of Chicago Symphony Orchestra has been about the farewell mm-hmm. to Muti. And like that's how they marketed the year, basically. Like, right. oh, this is the last time you'll get to hear him conduct this, whatever, this symphony, or the last time you'll hear blah, you know. And this whole month has been, they've been marketing, these are his last performances as the music director at Symphony Center. Because they haven't chosen his successor. A carefully worded phrase. Yeah, very, very carefully. (laughs) Um, Because they haven't chosen his successor yet. 
and uh, he wants to be in the decision making, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he is going to be music director emeritus for life, which I think is redundant. Isn't doesn't emeritus mean for life? It's like ATM machine or something. I- <laughs> it means it means honor like honored music okay. director. But, but usually emeritus it is a title. Sounds that- more like a threat than a point. <laughs> Well, he is already scheduled to come back in the fall. And um, yeah, it's really weird to like have these ceremonies and have all this like, this is the last thing he's going to conduct. It's like, okay, taking a page out of the the share playbook. The farewell tour never ends. I do love the sports times. Christina Shepelman moving on from Seattle Opera after five years on the contract. She took over just before COVID. Drinking from the Seattle Seahawks mug. During the press conference, that's that's gutsy. I like that. Nice. I like that very much. Yeah. And, and Bachala's quoting uh, sports rep metaphors uh, on his uh, sick bed. <laughs> <laughs> Who among us hasn't referred to singing as an athletic activity when we were trying to explain it to someone who had no idea what we were oh, talking about? Goodness. We are the gymnasts <laughs> of the music world. I think I've someone lost did it, some guys. outreach opera and it shows. I think I've lost it. So funny. Shall we wrap it up? Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call as we wrap things up, starting with Oliver Camacho. So over the weekend, I got to see um, an opera by Hassa, And I'm not sure there are many operas being produced by Hassa in the U.S., but there was one here in Chicago. Hmm. Uh, Haymarket Opera presented um, Mark Antonio e Cleopatra, which was a star vehicle for uh, former Ryan Opera Center artist um, Lauren Decker, a very deep contralto, mm-hmm. as Mark Antonio. And a friend of the show, Justin Kim, as Cleopatra. So it was like a gender swapped opera. Love it. And uh, it was perfectly cast. I have to say that Lauren's voice, her tone quality, definitely can go, ma- go masculine. And Justin's tone quality definitely can go feminine. And Justin really wore the dress. Like he wore it so beautifully. And, you know, I saw him after the show and I asked him, How did you make the dress look so full? And like how did you like collapse and still have the dress look so fluffy? He's like and he like showed me like all these kicks that he was doing and like spins underneath the dress to kind of keep it fluffy so that when he landed on the ground it like laid perfectly. It was like these are the tricks of the trade, folks. So Justin Kim knows what he's doing. Uh, a true artist of the stage. And congratulations to Chase Hopkins, uh, who is the general director of um, Haymarket, but also made his directorial debut with the show. He created some really pretty tableaus. Pretty, pretty tableaus. How marvelous. Matt Cummings. Uh, last week after we taped, uh, I went to go see downtown the National Tour of Hades Town, which I have to say was a bop. I think by the time this episode comes out, the the Chicago performances will have closed. But if you're able to get to another stop on the tour to see it, you definitely should. The music's pretty far from operatic, I'll say. So you might want to check it out on Spotify ahead of time. But I will say that I had listened to it before I went. Mm -hmm. And I liked it just fine. But it is really a show where the visuals tie it all together in a way that listening to it, like, can't possibly Mm. live up to. Yeah. and it, it's an interesting show because it's a it's a mashup of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth and the Hades and Persephone myth, uh, and the way that it uses that to to tell its story, I thought was really masterful, uh, and just kind of that thread throughout centuries ago of all of those Handel operas based on 
a Greek myth that George can't name. Well, well, ha- hang on, look. <laughs> Opera America Conference, there is precisely one person who could name more than five handle operas. So I, I'm learning. There, there's still work to be done, folks. <laughs> still work to be done. And that not, is it for yet. this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Send a voice memo or even just email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. And you can find links to stuff we've talked about at our website, operaboxscore.com. That's also where you're going to put your money where our mouths are. You can give back to the OBS on our donate page. Your announcer is Norm Waddell. Your creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. And your audio editor is Weston Williams. For co-hosts, Matt Cummings, and our guest, Dorothee Mills. I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you, too, are named a Kennedy Center honoree emeritus for life. We're back with an all-new show in two weeks when you're going to get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more GoFundMe campaigns so you can get paid. Join us. <laughs>